Good morning. Hope and pray you guys all had a good a good week. You guys ready for some turkey? Yeah? I have always enjoyed Thanksgiving. That's a lot of good, a lot of good memories, you know, gathering around the table uh, with uh, family and friends throughout throughout the years, and just uh, taking time to to give thanks and to enjoy all the good food that has been gathered. Right? You know, so wherever wherever you go, I hope and pray that it's a good a good week for you. Do we we seek meaning in life, right? And we we seek our purpose, and we may even wonder, you know, why am I here? The big questions come up from time to time, whether that be uh, the meaning of life, you know, where am I going in this world? You know, what happens when I die? And why is there anything here in the first place? And these are some pretty big questions. You know, if you ask these questions to an animal, it won't answer you. If you ponder these questions next to a tree, it won't tell you the purpose of all things. But interestingly enough is that creation points us to the very one who created us for a purpose. The heavens declare the glory of God. The handiworks proclaim or sorry, the skies proclaim his handiworks, right? We, all of humanity, were made in the image of God. Male and female, he created us. Genesis, Moses writes this, And then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we are made in the shadow of the Almighty and it's interesting that you come to this psalm and it's like those who dwell in the shadow of the Almighty will have refuge, right? And we've studied that. We've seen that through the last two times that we've been in Psalm 91. We were made for this purpose, to know Him, to dwell with the Lord forever, right? Death is not there in the beginning, right? It's not supposed to be here. It is a foreign entity in God's good creation. That is our chief purpose, to dwell with God forevermore. From Genesis, we can see that the Lord himself walked in that very garden that he placed Adam and Eve in. He walked in the cool of the day with them. But after the fall, fellowship with the Almighty was broken. Our relationship with God and with each other was one of open conflict. But right in Genesis, right after the fall, we hear hope. The Lord says this speaking to the serpent. I think we have this one pretty memorized, right? Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God will do this. He will bring forth this offspring of the woman, and the conflict will result in the serpent's head being crushed. Hallelujah. Amen. It's finished, right? He paid it all. But he will be wounded. And I love how God doesn't leave it open-ended, right? Of why the offspring has to be wounded. He shows us why. Before casting Adam and Eve out of the garden, which shows us that sinners cannot have fellowship with the Holy God, right? The relationship is broken and there is distance. There is a chasm that no one can bridge. The Lord does this. The Lord God made Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This points us to the truth that the sacrifice, that a sacrifice, right? It's the, capital T, sacrifice, right? The sacrifice needs to be made. The whole Mosaic law points us to this truth as well. The author of Hebrews states it the best. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Moses wrote this as well in Leviticus. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your sins, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now we can look at the sacrificial system in the law of Moses and wonder why. Why is Leviticus so bloody? But the truth of the system is that it points entirely to Christ. Paul writes this in Colossians as we saw as we, as we studied Colossians this last year. He states this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or whether regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right? The law points to Christ. The law is like a shadow telling us that there is a person standing over there. The whole of the Bible is pointing us to this, to trusting the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to place our faith in him. And as it is said of Abraham, so it can be said of any that believe in God. And he believed the Lord and it is counted to him as righteousness. Right? And today we get to look at more of Psalm 91. We actually get to look at some of the many blessings that are found in the or found for those that are taking refuge in the God of refuge. Well, let's start in a word of prayer before we turn to the scripture. <coughs> uh, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that Jesus paid it all. And he came as a sacrifice. He came to not be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. Lord God, we praise the Lord of hosts. You, we praise you. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the great God that has planned all of this salvation all of this amazing good news that we can cry out 
and say, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we can just be thankful, so thankful that in our utter distress, in our utter blindness, in our utter need, you came for us. And all we have to do is cry out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me like the blind man found in the gospel of Mark, Lord. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for this passage of scripture that we can dive into and just know you more and know the blessings are the blessings all of them are in Christ Jesus and that we can find refuge in the shadow of the almighty of where we belong of where our purpose is and and what the meaning of life is that Jesus is the answer how cool is that be with us in this time lord to distract us from all of our all of our other plans, or help us not be distracted by them, but that we would be focused upon you and your word, Lord, that we would grow in knowing you more and aiming to please you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 91. I'll be in verses 9 through 14 today. <clears throat> uh, let's uh, read the whole passage and then uh, break it down into parts. The psalmist writes this, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stones. You will tread on the lion and the addler, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now the passage right away is very clear that those who take refuge in the Lord God are safe. And we can, and others can, take this passage and, and run with it, saying, see, God doesn't want you to have pain. God wants you to be healthy, that no one will be against you, right? As we've talked about, you know, the Word of Faith movement and other movements in Christianity, we can see that you know these are false teachings. You know the prosperity gospel teaches us that God wants to bless you, and that's that's pretty much it, right? But the truth is, as we've seen throughout this study, is that we live in a broken world. So we have to place the passage in that context, in the context of the fall, right? The context of where our scripture is not a false context. Paul makes this point clear in Ephesus, or sorry, in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right? Becoming a believer doesn't make your physical life easier, right? In fact, it might even make it harder, right? <laughs> that's 
Like, oh, you don't want to share. Hey, you want to know Jesus? You get a hard life, right? But Paul is very clear with Timothy. He writes this. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Because darkness doesn't really want to be seen for what it is. So they'll kind of bat that away. And we can see that from the life of Paul. He knew hardship. He knew shipwreck. He knew beatings. Yet he knew in all of it, in the end, it is worth it. We've heard this verse time and time again throughout this study already, but it, it keeps on coming up, right? It's Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So how do we interpret this whole passage? How do we, how do we look at it? You know, the psalmist say, states this in verses 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed, be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Yeah, I first thought about this and I'm like, you know, that'd be really cool, right? Does this mean that we can't get sick? I mean, I wish, right? Because we get sick all the time. There's, there's sicknesses and everything. It would be amazing to walk up to someone coughing and say, hey, you should try Jesus because cough drops just don't cut it, man. But this insta-clear, insta-cure, you know? The Lord does it well, you know? You know, this could and, and does turn into a marketing ad for trying Jesus. You ever see that? Sticker, bumper, uh, bumper sticker, or T-shirt, right? It's like he's not a recipe; he's the Lord. <laughs> hmm. I totally lost my place, <laughs> but the psalmist points to this: those that have made the Lord your dwelling place. You've made the Lord your dwelling place, just as I have. You won't be touched. Even if you die in this life, they who trust in Christ are safe and secure and they will be with him in the next one. One psalmist states it like this about the Lord, be my rock and my refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. That's what it's all about, right? Redemption, the forgiveness of sins, being like David who in the Psalm of 23 states that though I be in the shadow of the valley of the death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Though my enemies be around me, you make a table for me. You anoint my head with oil and I will dwell in your house forever. That's how that Psalm ends. Jesus is the rock. And if we cling to him through all the storms and darkness that come in life, will not touch us in the next. For then we will be with the rock and the fortress forevermore. I think even throughout the study, this uh, verse from Jesus has stood, stood out as well. And it's John eleven twenty five. 25 states this after... Lazarus had died and he's coming and talking with Mary and Martha. And he states this, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And the consequences of sin are still here. Death is here, along with darkness and evil and shame and violence. But through Christ, the victory is won. And we who rest in the promises of God will see the very refuge of God because we will dwell with him. And no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Befall you. Now this is a, the amazing truth of that, right? Because those that are hidden in Christ, those that are washed in the blood of Christ, and by resting in his finished work upon Calvary, then we are able to approach God through Jesus to once again have a relationship with him, with the Almighty. The psalmist, one of the psalmists states it like this, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. See, God doesn't delight in evil. It can and will not dwell with him and therefore we were cast out of the garden because of Adam and Eve's choice. But God so loved the world that he sent his son here to take our place. And in Christ, we are washed. We are able to enter his dwelling place. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation 21. This is an amazing picture of what it will be like dwelling with God. John writes this in verses 1 through 4 in Revelation 21. He states, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Right? It's all back together. We're with our Creator again. He will dwell with them and they will be His people, just like in Genesis 1 and 2. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Right? Because it doesn't belong in the first place. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I don't know if we'll have memories or not, right? You know, there's different, like, theological debates on that, of, like, what will we remember? I think we'll remember it to a point, but the, it will be such a shadow of the past that it, it won't compare, like, what Paul says, right? It's... Yeah, it's like a passing of a dream. And now we have eternal glory dwelling with the Lord forevermore. It's the future glory that we can look forward to. For in Christ we are able to enter. And all sin and shame and struggle will be gone and we will dwell with God once more. You know, the former things have passed away. 
you know, the pain of this life, the cancer, the heart disease, the test results, the sin, the shame, it will all be gone. You know, this is the awesome part of the whole of salvation called glorification, where we will be saved from the very presence of sin. And we await that day. It is a constant hope and expectation, and it should help us in the now part, right? The now part of those that know Christ is called sanctification, where, you know, like Toby said, right, it's not licensed to sin. No, it's licensed to be a workmanship of God. It's a license to work for him and be about his will and way. And that's about walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. And that's an everyday battle, moment by moment. And it also encourages us to tell the part offered to the whole world that along with all the other parts is justification, which is by Christ we are saved from the very punishment of sin, that we are imputed with righteousness. Paul states it like this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We want to turn back in your Bibles with me to Psalm 91. We'll continue in verses 11 through 13. And this passage is cool. <laughs> They're all cool, right? You know, you ever, um, me and a friend were always talking, we get to make pre-highlighted and pre-underlined Bibles. All the, you know, all the important verses are pre-highlighted and pre-underlined and the whole Bible comes pre-highlighted and pre-underlined for them. That was, a, yeah. I think it would make money, yeah. The psalmist continues in verses 11 through 13, stating this, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion, and on the serpent you will trample underfoot. I was like so excited. I'm like, dude, these are the verses that Satan uses against Jesus. Like he quotes these to the Lord. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so ex I'm like, I haven't studied one of these yet, like in detail. So I was, I got a little giddy, right? Nerd out, Bible nerd out. Right? <laughs> but Matthew records it like this. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the, principle of the temple and he said to him if you are the son of God throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone now the devil understood that these were messianic verses right and, and we should as well but I like the part that the, the devil doesn't quote right it actually has to deal with him he doesn't quote verse 13, which states the serpent you will trample underfoot, directly referencing Genesis 3.15. Messiah is going to crush his head. One psalmist speaks it like this about the might of God. God, my king, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divide the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. 
You gave him as food to the creatures of the wilderness. That's the might of God. That's amazing. You know, the devil is tempting, about tempting Christ in this time period of Matthew and in the Gospels to reveal himself before his time. You know, Jesus show, or sorry, the devil shows up to get Jesus off mission because he knows something, right? That's why it's a hidden mystery. Because if the devil knew it, he wouldn't be like, hey, Judas, you know, go get him. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't be on the task at hand. He knew that the task of Christ was to destroy the serpent. And Jesus will have none of it. He quotes scripture. You shall not put your Lord God to the test. I like how Howard Hendricks put this one time. He's like, you know, in all of our Bible study and all of our, you know, knowings of like how to deal with temptations, do we study the book of Deuteronomy? Because that's exactly what Jesus quotes back to Satan is the book of Deuteronomy. He takes time to know those things. And I'm like, you know, Deuteronomy is one of those books that it's kind of like Leviticus. We don't really, you know, it's like, yeah, New Testament stuff's really good. We know that. But it's like even these, you know, they point to the Lord. And when we're dealing with attacks, when we're dealing with falsehoods, when we're dealing with people from cults and other religions, we might hear a verse or verses here or passages there. But we need to do this. We need to take it back to the context. We can make the Bible say a lot of things, right? You ever hear the, the phrase, I can do all things in verses out of context, right? There's actually a coffee mug. I'm like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> yeah. You know, what we need is to put verses in their context to counter any and all falsehoods. You know, these verses tell us about those that place their faith in Christ are not just sealed by the Spirit, but they're also guarded. One of my Bible professors up at Frontier was like really in, in love with this idea. He's like, I just like it. You know, the angels come and take us. You know, I don't want that to be lobbing a grenade in there as they're taking me like yeah, by himself. He's like, he's always, you know, he was always happy about the angels being on guard just in case. And it was, it was a funny illustration, but it's really said here in the book of Hebrews, the author states it like this. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? It's a great question that ends chapter 1 in the book of Hebrews. The angels throughout scripture are messengers of the Almighty. And they are sent to guard those that trust in the Lord. From Daniel to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Right from the lions, uh, Daniel says the Lord sent angels down to close the mouths. You know, the three friends of Daniel are thrown into that fiery furnace. There's an angel there. And we are safe in the arms of the Lord and we will dwell in his house. You know, these verses yet again could tell us, you know, hey, go ahead and walk into lion's den. Go ahead and play with snakes. And we won't be hurt. But as we've seen in the study that physical death is still here, and we shouldn't put the Lord to the test, right? I loved looking at this and I thought, you know, this psalm really fits into 
the hundred year or the sorry the thousand year reign of Christ. And when Christ Jesus is the rightful king sitting upon his throne, the throne of David in Zion, we will see this happen. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter eleven. I thought this was uh, really fitting with you know, the passage on the new heavens and the new earth, but this is also talking about the millennial reign of Christ and what, what earth will be like for a thousand years under the rule and reign of Christ. I'll read this in verses 1 through 9 in Isaiah 11. <coughs> the prophet of the Lord writes this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord, and he shall not, and he shall not judge by what he sees. Or decide, and he shall, yeah, he shall not decide, sorry, or decide disputes with his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equality for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and he will, and with his breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little children shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall get graze, and the young shall lie down together, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adler's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all his holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now this made me think of a lot of things that happen, you know, here and there through the Bible, whether it's Paul being bit by the viper. Daniel in the lion's den. These things aren't the rule of life right now, right? They're the exception. They're the miracle that was performed by the Lord in this event or that event. But when the root of David, when the lion lamb of Judah rules, it will be the rule, right? It will take place. It will happen in the thousand-year reign of Christ because Creation will be being put right. It will be set right by the forever King and Savior, Jesus. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that there is victory in the end, that we can hope in Christ, that we can know that our salvation is secure in Christ as we rest in you, 
as we rest in the finished work, that as we struggle day in and day out with walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh, Lord, that we can aim to please you and that we can look forward to glorification. We can look forward to seeing you as you are and then being like you, Lord. How amazing those truths are and help us just live in them. Help us moment by moment and day by day aim to please you. We thank you for this time, Lord, that we could sing, that we could study your word, that we could pray and fellowship with, with one another. Uh, be with us as we go our various ways for Thanksgiving. Just uh, we thank you for your mercy and grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.